Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number two. And of course, on Sundays, we've been going through this sermon series entitled Celebrating Christ. And we've been looking at the stories uh, so far before today. We're looking at all the stories leading up to the birth of Christ. And of course, this morning, we spent time in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And we looked at the birth of Christ and the uh, angels coming and proclaiming him, the shepherds coming to visit him. And tonight, we're going to look at the presentation of Christ. And we're going to, like I said, just kind of pick up right where we left off in the story. And we're going to fast forward eight days later to the presentation of Christ. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, and when eight days were accomplished, this is after his birth, for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel both uh, before he was conceived in the womb. And what I'd like to do uh, tonight, and I realize we've got cookies and hot chocolate and all of that, and we hope you'll stick around in fellowship with us after the service, but we always want to give preeminence to the Word of God. And we always want to, of course, give time to the Word of God. And in the, the, the text this evening, what we're going to do is we're going to meet two very special people, two senior saints, as we like to call them, and uh, they're two elderly people that cross paths with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, when he was a newborn, uh, two individuals by the name of Simeon and Anna, and we're going to look at them quickly tonight, as quickly as we can. But before we do that, I want to just by way of introduction give you some thoughts uh, from this uh, passage. So I'm going to give you three introductory thoughts, then we're going to look at Simeon. I'll give you some thoughts in regards to him. We'll look at Anna, give you a couple of thoughts in regards to him, and Lord willing, we won't be uh, too long. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention, if you're taking notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. The first thing I'd like you to notice in verse 21 is a scientific fact. I want you to notice there in verse 21 that the Bible says that when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child. And we won't take the time to go back into the Old Testament, but we know that this is something that was commanded of God in the Old Testament, not only in the Mosaic Law, but even before the Mosaic Law, God had told Abraham that all of the descendants of Abraham were to be circumcised. And this was something that was done in the Old Testament. It's been done away in the New Testament in regards to being done for religious reasons. But it was to... Uh, be able to identify those that were separated unto the Lord, those that were in the nation of Israel and, and were God's people in the Old Testament. What I want you to notice is that uh, the Bible says there, when eight days were accomplished, and Abraham was specifically instructed that he was to circumcise his male children in, on the eighth day of their birth. This was carried uh, after their birth. This was carried into the Old Testament law by Moses, where the Mosaic law teaches that on the eighth day, on their eighth day of their life, they were to be uh, circumcised. And this is an interesting fact. You might just read through that uh, and not really think much of it. But let me just read to you uh, just a little excerpt from an article. And uh, the, it's on, the article is on the subject of, does blood really uh, coagulate best when a baby is eight days old? And here's what the article says. It says, it has been scientifically proven that a male baby's blood is most likely to clot on the eighth day after birth. This has nothing to do with vitamin K supplementation either. Um, there are other factors involved in blood clotting that make this, the eighth day, a uniquely uh, propitious day for circumcision. 
on the eighth day, the amount of uh, prothrombin present in the male body is above 100% of normal. And that's the only day in the male's life in which this will naturally be the case. It's interesting that science has found that if you're going to circumcise a child, a male child, and you're not going to use any additional supplements in order to uh, cause uh, blood clotting, that the best day to do that is on the eighth day of their life. For some reason, on the eighth day of a male baby's life, they is the best day for them naturally to be able to have blood clotting to help them with that. What's interesting is that in the ancient world, thousands of years ago, God told Abraham, I want you to circumcise your children, and by the way, do it on the eighth day. Uh, Moses commanded the children of Israel to circumcise on the eighth day. Here we see that Jesus was circumcised, and again, uh, 2,000 years ago, on the eighth day. Now, did Abraham understand why it needed to be done on the eighth day scientifically? Did Moses understand why it needed to be done on the eighth day scientifically? Did Joseph and Mary necessarily understand why it needed to be done on the eighth day? Not necessarily. They just knew that that's what God commanded. But I will tell you this. God knew. God knew scientifically, naturally, when would be the best day for a child to be circumcised. And I just want to bring that to your attention because as we often find as we study the Bible together and uh, go through the scriptures together, that science is often catching up to the Bible. The Word of God is always ahead of science, and uh, science is often catching up to the Bible. And these little thoughts and these little ideas, they're not meant to build your faith but they can solidify and strengthen your faith in a realization that the Word of God was not written by man. There's no man 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago, uh, that knew that on the eighth day was the day that would be the best for natural blood clotting in a child. Therefore, we should circumcise on the eighth day. But God did know that, and, and God commanded His people to do that. So just an interesting fact there in this scripture, we see a scientific fact. We see something that science has now showed us that, wow, the Bible knew what it was talking about. But I want you to notice, uh, secondly, by way of introduction, not only is there a scientific fact, but there's also a scriptural variance. And I want to show you something. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says this, and when the days of, I want you to notice this word, her, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Here, the Bible tells us that on the days of her, and the her there is referring to Mary, on the day of her purification, according to the law of Moses, uh, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, I'd like you to quickly go with me to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter number 12. In the Old Testament, you have Genesis, Exodus, and then the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 12. And what the Bible is talking about here in verse 22, we're told that this was done according to the law of Moses. And we're going to look at it here in a minute in the book of Leviticus, where the law of Moses commanded that after a male child was born, after a female child was born, they were to bring a, uh, a sacrifice uh, for the purification of the mother. And then there was an additional sacrifice sometime later. 
what I, what, the reason that I want to point this out to you is because here, if you've got a King James Bible in your hand, the Bible says, when the days of her purification. Now, at Verity Baptist Church, and you may be a guest with us tonight, and maybe you don't understand that, and that's okay, we're not picking on you, but at Verity Baptist Church, we believe the King James Bible is God's inerrant and inspired Word of God. We believe that it is God's inspired Word of God in the English language. We don't believe it is the only uh, Bible in the world. We believe that God's Word is in other languages. But today, in the United States of America, you've got a whole variety of different books that call themselves the Bible. They call themselves the Word of God. And many Christians or many followers of Christ have been deceived with this idea when you ask them about, what about all these Bible versions? I mean, have you ever stopped to think, why are there so many Bible versions? You've got the King James Version. You've got the English Standard Version. You've got the New International Version. You've got the uh, uh, New American Standard Version. You've got all these versions, and you've got to ask yourself this, this question. If, if the Bible is what God said, then why did God say so many things? I mean, if the Bible is simply a translation of what God said, shouldn't there just be one that says what God said? And what people often mistake is they'll say, well, these newer Bible versions, it's saying the same thing, it's just updating the language. And I would disagree with that. I'm about to show you some proof of that uh, in a second. Because if all that was happening was the language was being updated, that wouldn't be such a big deal. Uh, But I'm here to tell you that there's something else that is happening, and it's not only that the language is being updated and punctuation is being updated, but words are actually being changed in these Bibles. And words matter. These words uh, teach different things. When you change the words, they say different things. And here's all I'm saying is God didn't say two different things. God only said one thing. And, and when things, you know, people say, what's the big deal uh, between this Bible version and that Bible version? Well, if they don't say the same thing, then we've got to ask the question, what did God say? Because things that are different are not the same. Now you say, well, I don't understand. What's the point? In Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible says, and when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished. Now let me read to you from some of these other Bible versions, and let me make the point. Here's what... Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 22 says in the American Standard Version, it says, and when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were fulfilled. Now somebody might say, well, I don't think that's a big deal. Well, you, it, the Bible says, Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out, out of the mouth of God. Amen. Her and their are not the same thing. Right. So here's the question I have, which one did God say? Now, I'm about to show you that it's a big deal, but I, w- I want you to see this. The King James Bible says, when the days of her purification. The American Standard Version says, and when the days of their purification. You might say, well, the American Standard, maybe they got it wrong. Okay, here's the ESV, the English Standard Version, the most popular uh, modern Bible version used in America today. Luke 2.22, here's what it says. And when the time came for their purification. And Luke 2.22 of the New American Standard Version, it says, and when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed. Here's what the uh, New Living Translation says. It says, then it was time for their purification. Here's what the uh, Revised Standard Version says. It says, and when the time came for their 
purification. Here's what the King James Bible says when the time for her purification. You say, what's the big deal? Well, look at Leviticus chapter 12 and verse 6. Again, we can't minimize the Word of God. The Word of God is where we base everything we believe. The Word of God is the foundation for every matter of faith and practice in the Christian life. And if God said something, we need to know what God said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, every uh, most modern Bible versions today have decided to have a scriptural variance, to change the text, and to not say when the days of her purification, but they want to say in the days of their purification. You say, what's the difference? Well, the there is involving Jesus the one that was born. The King James Bible says there came time for her, Mary, and, and, and we love Mary, and we honor Mary, and Mary was a woman of faith and, and favored of God, but that's all she was. She was a believer, but she was not deity. She was a, a, a woman, a favored woman, a faithful woman, a, a graceful woman, a blessed woman of God, but, but she's not someone we pray to. And, 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 and Mary was a sinner and she needed to be purified. And when the days of her purification were accomplished, the King James Bible says, she came to the temple to give the, uh, to give the, the different sacrifices needed. When the other Bible versions say the day of their purification, now they're involving Jesus, the child Jesus, as though the child Jesus needed purification. Now you say, well, I, don't, I still don't understand what's the big deal. Well, let's look at what's the purpose of this purification. Leviticus 12, look at verse 6. And when the days of, if you've got a King James Bible, don't miss this. And when the days of her purifying are fulfilled. Leviticus 12 and verse 6. So according to the King James Bible, who's supposed to be do? who are we purifying here? On the days of her purifying are fulfilled for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. Notice, she's supposed to bring two different types of sacrifices. One is a lamb for a burnt offering. The other, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a, notice, don't miss it, for a what? Sin offering. What was the purpose of this purifying? One was to be a burnt offering. The other was to be a sin offering. Why was Mary bringing the sacrifice commanded by Moses on the eighth day to the temple? Part of it was a part of her uh, uh, bringing a sin offering unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation unto the priest who shall offer it before the Lord and make an atonement for, don't miss it, her! Not for them. For her, and she shall be cleansed from the issue of her blood. This is the law for her that hath born a male or a female. Some people say, you might say, Pastor Manus, I think you're making a big deal about this. Please understand this. The book of Leviticus tells us that they were to bring an offering on the eighth day after the birth of a child for the sin offering of the mother. The King James Bible tells us that she brought that for her purification. But the modern Bible versions have changed that to say, no, no, they brought it for their purification, adding Jesus to that equation. According to the modern Bible versions, Mary brought an offering for the sins of Jesus. Here's a problem. There is no sin in Jesus. Jesus was without sin. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So, let me ask you a question. Which one did God say? Did He say her or did He say there? 
By the way, let me say this. Not only was it inappropriate for Mary, would it have been inappropriate for her to bring a sin offering for Jesus because Jesus was without sin, but let me just say this. It would have been inappropriate for her to bring a sin offering for any eight-day-old child. Because though we know that Jesus was without sin his entire life, let me let you in on a little secret. An eight-year-old baby hasn't sinned. A baby that's eight days old, you know what they've done in those eight days? They've slept, they've ate, and they've gone potty. <laughs> they haven't sinned. They haven't transgressed God's law. They haven't done anything uh, that goes against. The Bible defines sin as the transgression of the law. And you know what an eight-year-old baby has not done? They have not transgressed the commandments of God. We understand that they're born with a sin nature. We understand that they're descendants of Adam. We understand those things. But an eight-day-old baby has not yet sinned. The Bible tells us in Leviticus 12 that the purpose of this offering was for her purifying, not the baby's sin, but the sin of the adult mother. This is what Mary did in obedience to the law. But the modern Bible versions, they want to add Jesus in there. You say, why is that? Because the devil's behind the modern Bible versions. Because the devil has been attacking the word of God since the beginning. The devil, since the Garden of Eden, as a serpent, has been questioning and changing the word of God when he showed up to Eve and he said, Hath God said? And changed the word of God and said, Thou shalt not surely die. And wouldn't the devil want to produce Bible versions that say, Oh, Jesus was a sinner. And he needed a sin offering. They brought a sin offering for their purification. And again, we can spend all night on the subject of, of, of the Word of God and scriptural variances. And I'm not going to do that. I just want to point this out to you because we're in the text. And maybe you're here tonight. You say, I've never heard this. I'd like to learn more about this. We've got all sorts of studies and documentaries. We've got a documentary you can watch. It will go through and explain everything uh, we believe about these things. But I want you to notice just by introduction, we not only in this, in this first verse see a scientific fact, that it was the eighth day that Jesus was circumcised as commanded by the word of God, and science has caught up to that, we also see a scriptural variance. The King James Bible says, in the days of her purifying, and the modern Bible versions say, in the day of their purifying. And you might think it's not a big deal, but it's a big deal because what they're referring to is the, a sin offering that's being brought. And Jesus was not a sinner, and by the way, no eight-year-old no eight-day-old baby requires a sin offering. Let me give you one other introductory thought. Keep your finger right there in Leviticus 12 because we're going to come right back to it, but go back to Luke 22, or Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 2, verse 22. We'll actually look at verse 23. Just by way of introduction, we see a scientific fact. We see a scriptural variance. But let me show you a sobering thought. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 23, we have Joseph and Mary coming to the temple, bringing the baby Jesus, eight days old, to present him. Notice verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Look at verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. I want you to notice that in Luke 2, 24, we're about to be told exactly what kind of sacrifice Mary and Joseph brought for uh, the, the eighth day presentation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, it was a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So here we're told in Luke 2.24 that they brought a pair, which is two turtle doves. This is referring to a bird. And they also brought, or, or the other option was 
two young pigeons. So they, they brought these two birds. Now I want you to go back to Leviticus 12, and I want you to notice something. Because what they're doing is they're following the Levitical law found in Leviticus chapter 12. In Leviticus chapter 12, when the instructions are given to, do, to bring these sacrifices on the eighth day of the birth of a child, they're given two options. Look at verse 8. Leviticus 12, verse 8. And if she, because remember, it's for her purifying, if she be not able to bring a lamb, because remember we read in verse 7, uh, in verse 6, excuse me, of Leviticus 12, that they were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove, one pigeon or one turtle dove for a sin offering. So they were going to bring a lamb for a burnt offering, and then they got to bring a bird, either a young pigeon or a turtle dove, for a sin offering. But then in verse 8 we're told, and if she be not able to bring a lamb. She's unable to bring a lamb. Why is that? Because she can't afford a lamb. Because a lamb is too expensive. Notice, then she shall bring, notice, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for the sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Here in Leviticus 12, we are told that they were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a bird for a sin offering, but then they were giving an option. If you're too poor, if you can't afford to bring a lamb, then instead of bringing a lamb and a bird, you are allowed to bring two birds, one for a burnt offering, one for a sin offering. Does everybody understand that pretty clear? When you go to Luke chapter 2, and you fast forward to the birth of Christ, I want you to notice Joseph and Mary, when they bring a sacrifice, verse 24, they came and to offer a sacrifice according to that which said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. I want you to notice when Joseph and Mary brought a sacrifice, eight days after the birth of Christ, Joseph and Mary brought a poor man's sacrifice. They were not able to afford a lamb. So they brought two pigeons. And again, by way of introduction, we have a scientific fact and we have a scriptural variance. But let me say this, we have a sobering thought that the parents that God the Father in heaven chose, the physical human home that He chose for His Son, Jesus Christ, to be born into and to be raised was a home of humility, was a humble home. We can learn from this that Joseph did not have much money. Joseph was not very financially successful. He was a godly man, we know that. Gabriel appeared to him, and the Bible tells us that he was a just man and that he was willing uh, to, to, to raise Jesus. And, and even knowing that, uh, uh, that, that, that e- even before Gabriel had appeared, when he thought that Mary may have uh, been unfaithful to him, he was unwilling to put her away publicly, and he was a graceful man. And we know that. We know that Mary was, was favored with God. But here's what we also know about them. They didn't have a lot of money. And it kind of shows you a little bit of the emphasis that God puts on money. It obviously doesn't rank high on the priority with God. God looked down at a home. He looked down at a man. He looked down at a woman. He says, I need somebody to raise my son down on earth. And, and he didn't look at what neighborhood they lived in. He didn't look at what house they, they, they lived in. He didn't look at what kind of car they drove. He looked to see how faithful they were, how spiritual they were, how they loved God, how they walked with God. Hey, money was just not a big deal to God. 
That ought to be a sobering thought. And look, if, if God has blessed you financially, praise God for it. There's people all over through the Bible that God blessed financially. But let me tell you something. Money is not a big deal to God. And today, even during this Christmas season, it's interesting to me that we have taken the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and commercialized it. And it's all about getting the gift that I want and getting the right thing and getting this and getting that. And I hope you get gifts and I hope you give gifts. And I'm all for giving gifts. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I'm not against those things. But I'm here to tell you that today we tend to uh, I, uh, make an idol out of money. And today families will say, well, we can't have children because, you know, we need to get financially stable. And we can't have children until we uh, uh, get all our financial ducks in a row. And we, we can't have children until, you know, we got to uh, live in a certain house and live in a certain neighborhood and, and make a certain income before we can have children. Hey, God didn't think that way. God said, I still chose Joseph and Mary. Somebody might have asked God, said, you, they can't even afford a lamb. God said, that's okay. They're bringing the lamb. They're bringing the lamb of God. It'll take away the sins of the world. So we see a sobering thought. Let me tell you something. Be more interested in teaching your children to be godly and to have character than to be concerned with what brand shoes they wear. Be more concerned about teaching your kids to be honest and to love the Lord and to work hard than to be concerned with what brand clothes they wear. When God the Father was picking a home for Jesus to be raised in, It's interesting, they couldn't afford a lamb. They brought the poor man's sacrifice, but they brought a sacrifice because they loved God. They loved the Word of God. They were building their lives on the Bible. Go back to Luke chapter 2, if you would. I'm not sure if you're there. Look at verse 25. In verse 25, we meet the first of the two characters in the story. Remember, Joseph and Mary are bringing the eight-year-old Jesus, the eight-year-old, good night, eight, Day old. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus as a 12-year-old. I hope you'll come next Sunday morning. See, the only passage in the Bible about the childhood of Christ. We'll see him as a preteen and learn all about Jesus during that time. But here they're bringing the eight-day-old baby. They're bringing a poor man's sacrifice to fulfill the commandments of the Old Testament law. And when they get there to the temple, we meet this man, Simeon. Look at verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. I want you to notice tonight three things in regards to this man, Simeon. I can maybe get one of the staff guys to help me. Could you just turn the AC down just one degree or something? Notice three things. You might want to write these down about Simeon. We'll try to do this quickly. First thing I want you to notice is the portrayal of Simeon. Why don't you notice how Simeon is described in the Bible? Look at verse 25 again. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was, notice how he's described, just and devout. Just means that he was blameless. He lived right. He lived righteously. Devout means that he was faithful. He was devoted to his walk with God. Here we're told that he was a man that was just and devout. Notice, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Notice what the Bible says. And the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice this. When, when, when we see the portrayal of Simeon, when Simeon is described for us in the Bible, he is described as a spiritual man. The Bible tells us in verse 25, And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Look at verse 26. And it was revealed unto him 
by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit. Notice the emphasis on the Spirit. Verse 25, we're told that the Holy Ghost was upon him. Verse 26, we're told that it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Verse 27, we're told that he came by the Spirit into the temple. Right when Mary and Joseph were bringing Jesus into the temple, something prompted Simeon. The Spirit moved upon him, and he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, I want you to notice that uh, Simeon is portrayed here or described here as a spiritual man. He's a spirit-filled man. Go with me real, real quickly to the book of Psalms. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 12. If you find the book of Psalms, look at Psalm 12. When you get to Psalms, do me a favor. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back right back to it. Psalm 12. Let me ask this question as we consider Simeon, a spiritual man, a spirit-filled man, a man whom the Bible says the Holy Ghost was upon him. And I've got to ask the question, where are the spiritual men today? Where are the men today that are filled with the Spirit of God? Psalm 12 and verse 1, I want you to notice what the Bible says. The Bible says here, this is Psalm 12. This is the ancient world. This is the psalmist crying out. But let me tell you something. The same cry from Psalm 12.1 can be cried today in America in 2021, 2022, the United States of America. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. Let me ask this question again. Where are the spirit-filled men in America today? Where are the men that want to uh, uh, stand up and say, I want to be filled with the Spirit like Simeon? Where are the men that want to stand up like Joshua of old and say, I want to lead my family for the Lord Jesus Christ. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Where are the spiritual men that want to stand up and say, I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to provide for my family. That understand that the Bible teaches that, that if a man provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel. Hey, where are the men of God today that would stand up and say, I want the Spirit of God on my life. Here we have this man, Simeon, and we've got to respect the fact that the Bible, look, if you, he, you say he's only in the Bible for a few verses, but if you get in the Bible for a few verses and three times it's mentioned that you're filled with the Spirit of God, that's a good man. I'm afraid today that we're missing the spiritual man. The spiritual man is missing. I'm afraid today that many a wife is crying out in her heart, saying, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. I'm not talking about a man who knows about all the stats of the NFL. I'm talking about a man who knows the Word of God, who knows what the Bible says, who knows what God has called him to do with his family. Where's the spirit-filled man today? Simeon was a spiritual man. The man that loved the Lord. He was just and devout. He didn't, he didn't have to be nagged into coming to church on a Sunday night. He was devout. He was right. He, 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 was, he was interested in his walk with God. Once you notice this about Simeon, not only was he a spiritual man, but let me say this, he was probably an old man. Keep your finger right there in Psalms and go back to Luke chapter 2. Now, I say he was probably an old man because the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that he was an old man. But if you look at the wording of the passage, it seems as though this was probably an old man. 
Because the Bible says in Luke 2.26, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, the idea there is that he was probably close to death. It doesn't read like he's a 30-year-old man that God said, Hey, by the way, you're not going to die till you see the Lord's Christ. He's probably an older man, an old man, maybe ready to pass away. And the Holy Ghost said, you're not going to die. He should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So here's what we have in Simeon. He's a very unique man in the sense that he's a spiritual man. And those are unique men. And by the way, men, I'm talking about you, you men sitting in this room right now. Let me tell you something. Men that read the Bible. Pray for their wives and for their wife and children, not their wives. Lord, good night. That's not a spiritual man. A man that prays for his wife and his children. A man that leads his family spiritually in the things of God. A man who reads the Bible, understands the Bible. A man who leads his family, brings them to church, brings them to soul winning, uh, uh, teaches his children, brings them up in the nurture and admonition. That's a unique man. There's not many of those around. That's why we're in the mess we're in in this country. Help, Lord, for the godly man sees it the prayer of the day. But I want you to notice Simeon was twice, Simeon was twice unique. Not only was he a spiritual man, but he was an old man. You're there in Psalm 12. Flip over to Proverbs chapter 16. You're there in Psalm, just one book over, Proverbs 16. Notice what the Bible says, Proverbs 16, verse 31. The hoary head, Proverbs 16, 31. The hoary head, what does the word hoary mean? It means grayish or white. It's talking about somebody whose head is white or gray. Right? It's talking about an old man. Now, don't look too closely at my hair because it's getting pretty white. I'm not that old, but I'm just stressed out with all you people. Here it says, the hoary head, notice, is a crown of glory. The hoary head is a crown of glory. Notice, don't don't miss it. If it be found on a golf course. Is that what it says? The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in Florida relaxing. Is that what it says? A hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. You know what Verity Baptist Church needs? We need spiritual men. But you you know what we also need? We need some spiritual men that are going to stick with this thing for a long time. They're going to be a hoary head. They're going, to be, they're going to be old men found in the way of righteousness. Old men found out soul winning. Old men found out reading their Bibles. Old men standing up and preaching the word of God. Hey, you know what we need today? We need some spiritual men. And we need some spiritual men that are going to stick with this thing long enough to be some old spiritual men. And I'm thankful we've got some older men that are spiritual. I'm thankful uh, for my dad. Felix Jimenez, this morning we, uh, uh, we, we uh, honored them, uh, my parents, their anniversaries on the 23rd of this month, and, uh, you know, they're all confused. He, he said it's 42, but it's been 43 years, we found out, I found out after. <laughs> Once you've been married for 40 years, you know, it doesn't matter. 43 years, hey, I'm thankful for some, a father and a mother have been faithful. 43 years, married, I'm thankful for my dad. My dad sometimes jokes with me. He says, you know, I go to these missions uh, trips and I go to these soul winning marathons and I'm the oldest, old, oldest guy there. And I say, man, I'm proud of that. Amen. The holy head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. 
I'm thankful for uh, Brother Ray Anderson, who's a member of our church, been a member of our church since day one. I mean, literally the first day that we started the church, Brother Ray Anderson, Pastor Pastor Steve Anderson's dad, uh, a faithful man. I'm thankful for some older men, and, and, I, and I hope that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, some of you uh, young men with some young kids will be those faithful, hoary-head uh, men that are not only helping uh, now raising your children for God, but helping raise your grandchildren for God, Amen. your great-grandchildren for God. So we see Simeon, we see his portrayal, his description. He was a spiritual man. He was probably an old man. I want you to notice, secondly, about Simeon, not only do we see his portrayal, but I want you to notice we also see his proclamation. Look at verse 27, Luke chapter 2 and verse 27. Simeon proclaimed a couple of things in this passage. Notice what he says in verse 27. Notice what the Bible says. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, get this in your head. Get yourself in the Bible for a second. To do for him after the custom of the law. Think about this. You've got a young mother, Mary, with her newborn, eight-day-old baby, Jesus. They're coming into the temple to do the custom of the law. This old man, Simeon, led of the Spirit, comes into the temple, and the Bible tells us in verse 28, notice, then took he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms. I mean, think about that. What are some of you moms with an eight-day-old baby? You're, you're, you're walking into some sort of an appointment or something, and some old man walks up to you and grabs your baby. I mean, this is what happened. Then he took he, him, the Bible says, up in his arms and blessed God and said, notice, he takes Jesus from Mary, holds him up in his arms. He's looking at the baby Jesus, and then he proclaimed something. Why don't you notice what he said? Verse 29. He said, Lord... Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. Remember the Holy Ghost had told him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he walks into the temple and he, and he walks into this event and he, and he sees Mary with Jesus and he, and he grabs baby Jesus and he holds him up and he says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. Don't miss it. Verse 30. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Don't you notice this proclamation from Simeon? He proclaimed the person of salvation. We often say, and I'm not against people saying this, and I, I, I say it and it's fine. We often talk about the plan of salvation. I know what we mean by that. We mean the fact that people have to understand that they're a sinner and their sin has condemned them to hell and Jesus died on the cross to pay for their sins and they have to put their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. It is not of works and you can't lose it. It's eternal security and you have to call upon Christ. I get that and, and I understand that and we use that terminology. I'm not against it, but please understand something. Salvation is not so much a plan as it is a person. Here he's looking at Jesus physically, baby Jesus, and he's saying, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Jesus would later on say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Let me tell you something. Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Not your good works. Not because you quit smoking or drinking or doing drugs. And I hope you'll quit smoking and drinking and doing drugs, but that won't get you saved. Salvation is Jesus Christ alone, period. The fact that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, and you could not pay for them no matter what you do. So we see the proclamation of Simeon. He proclaims the person of salvation. But I want you to notice also verse 31. He proclaims the extent of salvation. 
Notice in verse 31, he says, he, in verse 30, he said, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Verse 31, which thou hast prepared before the face, notice, of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Today we have people who say, oh no, the dispensation say, no, he only came to the Jews, and it wasn't until they rejected him, then the, the option was given to the Gentiles. Well, we've got Jesus here on day number eight, and Simeon is proclaiming that he is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Let me tell you something, salvation has always been for the whole world. Amen. For God so loved the world, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we see the person of salvation. We see the extent of salvation. I want you to notice about Simeon, we see his portrayal. He's portrayed as a spiritual man. Probably an old man. We see his proclamation. I want you to notice, thirdly, his prediction. Look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them. And said unto Mary, his mother. I want you to notice that Simeon takes Jesus and holds him up and he says, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And then he looks over at Mary and he says something to her. He, the Bible says, and Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother. I want you to notice what he says. He makes a prediction here. He says, Behold, speaking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. He, he makes this prediction. He says, this child is set, he says, for the fall and rising again of many. I want you to notice that in the prediction of Simeon about Christ, we see the demand of Christ. He, he, he predicts that this child, Jesus, is either going to be the fall or the rising. He, he predicts that when it comes to this child, Jesus, this child that was just born, this child that was uh, brought forth uh, to this earth, he, he, he's going to either be your fall or your rising. See, the demand of Jesus is this, that you cannot maintain neutrality with Jesus. Jesus will either cause you to, he'll either cause you to rise or he'll cause you to fall. But you can't stay neutral. You say, what, what do you mean? Well, let, let me just run a couple of verses. Go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Don't worry, the cookies will be there when we're done, all right? <laughs> well, make sure to get an armed guard to watch the cookies. Matthew 21, verse 44. Notice this passage about the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when you get to Matthew, keep your finger there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Matthew 21, verse 44. And whosoever shall fall on this stone, the stone is referring to Jesus, and whosoever shall fall on this stone, notice, shall be broken. Shall be broken. By the way, that's a positive thing. We don't look at it as a positive thing because we're prideful people. This is what you need for salvation. You need to be broken. You need to realize I'm a sinner and unable to save myself. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But here's your options. Here's your only options. Either you fall on the stone of Jesus and you are broken, or the Bible says, but on whomsoever it, the it there is referring to the stone, shall fall, it will grind him to powder. 
The word grind means crush. Here's what the Bible says. Either you fall on Jesus and you get broken, or he falls on you and you get grinded. You get ground. You get crushed. Here's the point that I'm making. You cannot be neutral about Jesus. Simeon was telling Mary, he's looking at Mary and saying, this child is set for the fall and rising of many. There's no neutrality with Jesus. Please understand something. Jesus said too much about himself. He said too much about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said too much about himself. The, The thing about Jesus is this. That there's a demand for, with Jesus because you either believe that he is who he said he is, the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the Son of God, the sinless one who take, came to take away the sins of the world. You either believe that or you believe it's crazy. You, you can't say, well, I don't think he's the Son of God, but I, I think he's just a good man. No, there's no neutrality with Jesus. He either was who he said he was or he was insane. And that's why he is set for the fall and rising of many. You will either fall on him and be broken, or he will fall on you and you will be crushed. Matthew 10, look at verse 32. You're there in Matthew. Look at Matthew 10 and verse 32. The Bible says, Whosoever therefore, this is what Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before him, before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Verse 33, But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. I'm here to tell you, those are the only two options. You either confess Jesus or you deny Jesus. You say, oh, I'm not denying Jesus, I'm just choosing Allah. Then you're denying Jesus. I'm not denying Jesus. I'm just choosing my good works. Then you're denying Jesus. Look, here's all I'm telling you. Whether you like it or not, we talked about this morning. Whether you like it or not, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You don't get to say, oh, I'm neutral on Jesus. You either fall on him or he'll fall on you. You're either broken on him or he will grind you and crush you. You'll either confess him and he'll confess you before his father or you'll deny him and he'll deny you before his father. But there is a demand to Jesus. You cannot stay neutral. You must make a choice. Not only is there a demand to Jesus, keep your finger right there in Matthew 10, go back to Luke chapter 2, but there's a divisiveness of Jesus. Look, you know this to be true. Jesus is a very divisive character. Isn't it true? You don't believe me? Walk into your break room tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Walk into your break room when everybody's there for lunch and say, hey, I just want to make an announcement. I want to let everybody know I love Jesus. See how people react to you. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. See how people treat you after that. He's a divisive figure. Notice what Simeon says, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. Notice, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Simeon says, let me tell you something about your baby, Mary. Not only is he set for the fall and rising of of, of many, but there's going to be many who speak against him. Isn't that true today? Let me tell you something. Jesus is a divisive character. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34. If you kept your place there, notice what the Bible says. The Bible, this is what Jesus said. He said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
For I am come to set a man, notice his words, at variance. The word variance means in a state of disagreement. At variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is, is, is a divisive character. I want you to notice that here we have Simeon speaking to Mary. And he's telling her, look, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. He's speaking to the Lord about Jesus. He said, this is salvation. He, this is the way, the truth, and the light. But then he looks at Mary and he says, this child is set for the fall and rising of many. And a sign which shall be spoken against. I want you to notice verse 35, Luke chapter 2 and verse 35, when Simeon said these words to Mary. Notice what he says. He says, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's an interesting thought here. Because though Jesus was the Son of God, Mary was still his human mother. And I believe that Simeon here is referring to the fact that Mary's heart would be pierced and broken as she watched her son die on a cross. That though Mary understood and she got the message from Gabriel and she understood that this was the Son of God and that He was born to die and that He was here to bring remission of sins, uh, Simeon predicts for us that a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. That though Jesus came to die, the Bible says He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to die for our sins and we understand that and we're thankful for that. That there was a mother who gave birth to Him. There was a mother who fed Him. There was a mother who cleansed Him. There was a mother who taught Him to walk. There was a mother who, who helped Him speak. There was a mother that was there for all the milestones of His life. And that mother sat there and watched her son, yes, the Son of God, but watched her son die on a cross and her soul was pierced. I'm here to just give you a very sobering thought, and is this. That we often understand that there is a cost for serving Jesus. But let me give you another sobering thought. Not only does it cost you something to serve Jesus, but sometimes it costs others for us to serve Jesus. And Jesus, as he submitted to the will of his Father, not only did it cost him something, but it cost Mary something. And Simeon predicted this. And he said, Mary, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. And in verse 36, we meet the second character. I want you to see it quickly. Not only did we meet Simeon, we saw his description, his proclamation, his prediction. We secondly also meet Anna. Look at verse 36. We know that this is an elderly lady because the Bible tells us that. Verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived, notice this, with a husband seven years from her virginity. Now, we're not sure when she got married, but we know that when she was married, she was a virgin. She was a young lady and she was married for seven years. But her husband died. Verse 37. And she was a widow of about four score and four years. Four score, if you remember Abraham Lincoln's Uh, address, four score and seven years ago, four score is 80 years. She was a widow for four score and four years. She got married as a young lady, was married for seven years. Her husband died and then spent the next 84 years as a widow. He said, what did she do? Though she spent her years probably very lonely as a widow, 
She was lonely, but she served the Lord. Notice verse 37 there. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple. The temple, of course, being the house of God. Notice, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Why don't you notice that this second lady, we meet the second character, Anna. She was a servant. She served God with fasting and prayer night and day. I'm sure being married for seven years and then losing her husband and being a widow for 84 years, like we talked about this morning, was not how she planned out her life. This was not probably what she wanted. But let me tell you something. She got busy serving the Lord, and the Bible tells you she served God with fasting and prayer night and day. It reminds me, you don't have to turn there, of the passage in Romans 16 and verse 1, when Paul tells us, he says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church. We should be busy serving the Lord. And let me just say this. We not only need some spiritual old men that are serving God, but we learn here from Anna that we also need some spiritual aged ladies. Amen. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. The Bible says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Let me tell you something. Not only do we need some old men that will be spirit-filled and serve God with their lives, like Caleb, who was 80 years old and said, I want that mountain. But we need some aged women as well. That will teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children, to serve God. That will help the younger generation coming up. I want you to notice this. Anna, she was not only a servant, but lastly, I want you to notice she was a soul winner. Look at verse 38. And she coming in at that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And notice these words. Spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Amen. Now, I don't, I, look, you might think, Pastor, you've been preaching a lot about soul winning lately. Look, I don't know if you notice, I'm going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. Amen. And we get to Wednesday night Bible study, and Paul's saying, ye are ambassadors for Christ. He said, I am an ambassador for Christ that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Then we get to the birth story of Jesus, and we see these shepherds, and the Bible tells us that they made known abroad the saying, all the things that they knew about Jesus. They went around preaching it. Then we get to the presentation of Christ, and we see this uh, Anna, and the Bible tells us that she spake of him to all them that look for redemption in Jerusalem. And I'm here to tell you, there is a theme that runs through the Bible, that when you get saved, God expects you to take that message and give it to others. Every Christian ought to be like Anna. You say, what is every Christian? What should they be? They should be a servant and a soul winner. They should serve the Lord, and they should win souls for Christ. And by the way, I'm thankful for the fact that our church is filled with a bunch of godly ladies who do preach the gospel and are soul winners. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, you don't have to turn there. The Bible says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. There was women that labored with Paul in the gospel. We talked about the woman at the well recently that went out and preached the gospel. But I'm here to tell you, we should all be like Anna, a servant and a soul winner, a servant and a soul winner. Let me ask you, are you filling those two priorities? You say, what should I do in connection to the house of God? Well, here's what Anna did. She was a servant and a soul winner. She served in the house of God, and then she preached the gospel. That's what a soul winner is. The Bible says, they, that, uh, he that winneth souls is wise. 
Every Christian, ought to, you ought to fill that category. And look, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I do want to challenge you. You know, do you fit those categories? Are you a servant and a soul winner? So how do I know? Well, let me ask you this. Do you go soul winning on a regular basis in a faithful, devout way at Verity Baptist Church? Let me ask you this. Do you serve? This is what you ought to do. I remember years ago, my uh, brother-in-law, Brother Jose Cruz, he, he gave me this illustration uh, I think he'd, he'd heard it somewhere, and I thought it, I thought it was a good one. That the house of God should be like a firehouse, the firefighters. You know, we think of firefighters, we think, what do, what do firefighters go do? They go out, and they fight fires, right? Well, that's what we should do. The Bible says, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Hey, we're like spiritual firefighters. There's a fire called hell that people are going to go to. The wrath of God abideth on them. And we go out to where they are and we pull them out of the fire. But let me tell you something. Firefighters don't only fight fires. They do that when they're out. But what do they do when they're in? When they're in the firehouse. You ever taken a tour of a firehouse? Go to a firehouse. You know what you'll find? Firefighters doing all sorts of things. Cooking, working out, cleaning, doing all sorts of chores and responsibilities. That's what a, the Christian life should be like. Amen. Hey, when, when we're here in the firehouse, you ought to be serving somewhere. Amen. The safety team, the ushers team, the orchestra, the choir, uh, uh, cleaning, you know, the cleaning crew, whatever. Find somewhere to serve within the firehouse. You say, oh, I'm a soul winner. But well, here's the thing about a firefighter. They, 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 they go to the firehouse and they, they do something. They serve. And then when the alarm goes off and it's time to go fight a fire, it's soul winning time and it's time to pull people out of the flame, then we all get up and we all go. Amen. Hey, we ought to be serving and we ought to be soul winning. Amen. You ought to be serving and you ought to be soul winning. I'm a soul winner. Good. Find somewhere to serve. I serve. Good. Find somewhere to go soul winning. And Anna, she did both. She was a servant and a, and a soul winner. Look at verse number 39. We'll finish up. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord. Let me just make this point in conclusion. Jesus fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He was without sin and he was righteous. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. Remember, they were from the northern part of Israel to their own city, Nazareth. I want to encourage you to be with us next week. We're going to be done here in a minute. We're going to sing, and we're going to have some time of fellowship with cookies and hot chocolate. But I want to encourage you to be with us next Sunday morning, because next Sunday morning, we're going to continue. We're going to pick up right where we left off, Luke chapter 2, verse 40. We're going to actually finish Luke chapter 2 next Sunday morning, and we're going to fast forward 12 years, and we're going to see the only passage of Scripture that shows us Jesus as a childhood, as a child, and we're going to see the childhood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to join us as we study that out, especially if you've got some children in your home. It'd be good for us to see Jesus as a 12-year-old and kind of see what we should be aiming for in the raising of our own children. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this passage of Scripture and for these two senior saints, for Simeon and Anna, and the fact that they were serving the Lord even into their old age faithful to the house of God, faithful to soul winning, faithful to preaching the gospel. Lord, I I pray you'd help all of us. Lord, I I pray that you'd help me and my wife to be able to 
stay in this thing, Lord. I, I thank you for the 11 years of ministry you've given us. And I pray you'd give us 20, 30, 40, 50 years in ministry. That we might be like Simeon and Anna, just staying at it, being faithful. And Lord, I pray you'd raise up a whole group of people that would serve you and stay with it. That they would be just, just and devout. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.